why in the UK we have a population of around 5% of South Asian people. However, we are not seeing that reflected in academies. Football becomes that kind of symbol of where this is happening. So therefore you stay away from football. Let's say if you have a predominantly Asian team that's playing against a predominantly white team, there'll be fights on the pitch. And all of a sudden you're not playing football. You're not, you want to enjoy the game, you want to play the game, but you're, you're involved in these other factors, right? And then that just stays in the mind. Because of Jay's dad's experience back in the day, he might say, I don't want son to go. In America, in the NFL, it's 70% black. The NBA is 75% black players. The population in America is 13% black. It's said by a lot of people that black people have higher natural ceilings in power and speed. The key word is potential and our job in youth development is to predict the future. My, my thought process is I don't see as many South Asian players playing in the Premier League or in elite football now so my bias would potentially be well if that's not the future that I'm trying to predict and I'm not seeing that now then is that the right type of player we should be bringing in? There wasn't anyone who looked like me or who went through a similar journey to me who's made it. He comes from a, a similar background to me so he'll understand my struggles. I think hopefully someone will break through. This takes one to break that mold. Hello and welcome back to Project Footballer, the voice of youth football. In today's episode, I will be exploring why in grassroots football, 6% of those who play the game are from a South Asian background, which is very close to the split of the UK population. However, in academy football, only 1% of those who play the game are from a South Asian background. Why is this? Is it down to opportunity, culture, choice, prejudice, or genetics? In this episode, I will be speaking to Zohab Rashid, who is the founder of Desi Ballers, which shines a light on South Asian footballers. Bobby French, who is the head of local recruitment for Leeds United. And his colleague, who's a scout, Khalil Luna. And Leeds are doing fantastic work bringing through South Asian footballers for the club. This is a sensitive topic. It's a sensitive subject. It needs to be explored in an objective, balanced way. And through the episode, I don't think that we end up coming with a blueprint of solutions or answers in this subject, but we explore it. And I found it extremely informative, learning from the speakers that I spoke with in the episode. I found it thought provoking and beyond exploring the subject of race in football. It got me thinking about the direction of football in terms of recruitment and how it compares to other sports. And potentially if the game is moving into a faster, more athletic direction, which seems to have been the trend in many countries of recent years, then does this begin to affect the way that scouts and clubs recruit? And does race become a more important factor in the decision-making process? This is a fascinating topic. Please remember that this, although I have I work with 
Chelsea Football Club. These are my own personal views that come through in the subject. I'm no way speaking on behalf of Chelsea. All the views are of the individuals. The same with Khalil and Bobby speaking on behalf of Leeds United. But we hope that you find this conversation progressive and it's only just one conversation. We will be speaking more on this subject in the future. And please leave your comments and leave your opinions because we're all learning. I hope you enjoy the episode. This is really, really interesting. I've, I've been learning a lot about this subject as I've been like, preparing for the episode, been really looking into it. Um, so there's a lot to get into here. Um, would you be able to help clarify for the audience? Yeah, what is South, South Asian players? Like, what does that represent? So if you look at, say, Asia as a continent, that's almost 33% of the world. So when we look at South Asia. The reason we focus on South Asia is because it's one of the largest minority ethnic groups in Britain. That's where the focus is. And that's made up of predominantly the sub Indian subcontinent. So there's about seven or eight countries that make up, depending on how you see the atlas. Yeah. The main countries will be Bangladesh, Sri Lanka, India, Pakistan, Nepal, Maldives, Bhutan. So they're like the main kind of countries in South Asia. Okay. Okay. Um, because this feels like it's a more sort of recent term that people are saying South Asian rather than just saying Asian. Have, have you noticed this as well? Or is, is this is it becoming more of a trend to say this? It's basically what, what's happened is, say, 20 or 30 years ago, there was a spotlight on the lack of Asian players in the game. Okay. Um, in 1996, there was a report that was written by an independent group of people called uh, the National Asian Football Forum. And they put a report together called Asians Can't Play Football. Right. And that was like an ironic title to kind of say there's an exclusion or there's a lack of players in the game or visibility. What are the reasons behind it and what should be done about it? So they had a big conference in, in 1996 or 1997. I just remember my dates. Then 10 years later, there was a report that was published called Asians Can Play Football, A Wasted Decade, which talked about the missed opportunities in that decade uh, when the first report was released. Mm. But the term used then was British Asians because that was a common common phrase used. Um, where it's become a bit more about uh, looking at specifics. Because when you talk, look at Asia, like I said, it's such a big continent. Mm. Uh, there's nuances that are, that, uh, that are different. And mm. there's commonalities within the South Asian kind of communities, mm -hmm. which allows it to be a bit more, where well, people see it's a bit more heterogeneous because there's our similarities in terms of culture, religion. Uh, but yeah, you're right. South Asian is a common term which is used now just to differentiate from the other communities that are from Asia as well. Mm. Uh, because if you look at the Premier League and other leagues, we've seen players from Far East in China and Japan, Korea being represented. But the representation of South Asian players in, say, the top league in the Premier League, it's not being there. So that's why you're thinking, do you look at Asia as a whole or do you look at specifics? And that's why recently, I say in the last, definitely in the last decade, that terminology has become a bit more stronger mm. uh, to focus on the specifics, um, to get a bit more of an insight. It's a really helpful explanation. Thank you so much for that. When I was looking into it, so it looks like in England, 
there are is about nine percent Asian population, and then for South Asian, it's around five percent. Is that as you guys understand it as well? I think it's more well? depending. I think there's a there's a current consensus that was done in 2021. I think the number is higher now. I think more closer to seven eight percent. Is it of South Asian Asians, people? Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah. And are you guys? Do you guys know the number of players playing grassroots football? How that's represented by South Asian people? There's no. There's no accurate data out there to say this is what it is. The only, I guess, the only organization that would have the accurate data would be the FA in terms of players registered to teams that are playing in uh, registered leagues. Mm. So I don't have that data to hand, but okay, I can okay. imagine. That's who would go to for that kind of information. So I've had long, long, long conversations with Riz Rahman and Chalash, who are at the PFA. And it was so funny because it turned out after I started speaking with Riz, um, he put me onto his colleague who's helping with a lot of his data and giving a lot of consultancies at the PFA. And his kid is a scholar at Watford. And it turned out that I'd scouted him back in the day for Chelsea. And I like got him into academy football. It's so nuts. Uh, so yeah, we were catching up the other day. Um, yeah, it was a great conversation. But he, he's he's from he's worked in a city, and yeah, he's he's very he, he does a lot with data from from his work, and he's brought that into the PFA. And there's amazing work being done by those guys. Like it's incredible. Um, I mean, we'll get into it later into the conversation. But yeah, just just think what they're doing is incredible. Um, so what Shalash said was, he said that there is 6% of kids who are playing grassroots football who are of South Asian background. And he got that data from Sport England. And so I was looking at it and I was saying, okay, that's interesting because from my research, I mean, you've said close to more like 9% population, but if we're close, if we've got, the amount of South Asians playing grassroots football, that means that they're getting access to it and there's appetite and there's a willingness to play football. You know, we're, we're seeing that with, with that data, that that's, that's almost close, you know, it's almost the same, isn't it? So, so then, but then the data of how many South Asians in academy football, there's 12,000 kids signed to academy foot in academy football, and there's about a hundred South Asian players. So, with just less than 1%. And so I suppose that's where we need to, you know, try and understand why is that? Would you be able to just talk us a little bit, talk to us a little bit about the work that you're doing at Leeds? Absolutely. I think with my role and responsibility being um, the head of local recruitment, it's vital for me that we have a diverse team of staff for us to, to, get into these areas and find players. And I think it's our duty of care as a professional academy to bring in players from all corners of, of our geography and what we can recruit for. And I think that's absolutely vital. Um, and it's important for me naturally that we have a, a diverse team of staff to where that starts. I think there's a number of discussions and reasons and no, in my opinion, no definitive answer to why. Um, I think there's a, a few key topics we can talk about, which I'm sure we'll talk about today, but I think it's the team of staff that are working and, and are out there and it's important with the casual scouts. Obviously we've got Khalil who's joined us today, who's doing a great job for us at Leeds um, that are out there doing the work and finding the players essentially. 
are in the right areas and right communities that we need to to provide equal opportunity to as many different areas as what we can. Um, and then after that, it's what we're seeing and what are the scouts seeing. And I think you can talk about bias and talk about experience. And when I'm recruiting players from pre-academy under seven through to, to under 15s, you relate into past experience and the journey of players. Where have you seen success? Does that little player that you see there remind you of a player that you've seen of that journey? And I think it's it's breaking that stigma. And hopefully the more South Asian players that we start seeing come into the system and having success, which of recent, we're seeing more, which which is great. Scouts naturally will start relating to that and go in, break that stigma of, I'm not actually recognizing players having that success, but now we're starting to, I think that'll naturally hopefully increase the scouts that are out there on a day-to-day on them cold, muddy park pitches going, yeah, well, I, I can see that journey now. Mm. And, I th- and I think for me, is, <clears throat> um, is ac- it's access for South Asian teams. So being a scout myself um, and being in the game, you know, I started playing football when I was six, seven. And if you ask me whether any academy scouts came to watch my grassroots team, I can tell you we didn't have any academy scouts come to any of our games. And with what I know now, with the benefit of hindsight, some of those players, you know, whether they would have made it or not, if they got scouted, you know, who knows, but they did have the quality to be in an academy setup. Um, and that's changing now, especially with Leeds, where we're working closely with South Asian teams. Um, we had the South Asian Action Plan tournament, um, and that's where I met so Zane Loughborough. Um, and it was a really successful tournament for us, um, where we scouted some South Asian players, um, um, offered some a YD8. Um, and again, it was really successful for us. Um, and working in the city of Bradford again, um, Bradford's got a high population of South Asian um, people, um, and a lot of the plays that we have scouted are from from Bradford. Um, and within our pre academy, um, we've offered how many is it two two South Asian plays already yeah. within within our pre academy of South Asian plays, and we've only been really been working for the last year or so with more so with South Asian clubs mm. we've already got two players mm. um, who have been offered pre-academy contracts and i think we'll keep on working and hopefully that number will just increase you know over the years so do you think that there's untapped potential here um 100 i think i think as bobby alluded to, alluded to earlier is that okay when we look at our player do we think okay he reminds me of such and such player and when we think of south asian players we don't have many who have you know made it in the professional game um, so again, are we looking at these kids and are thinking, you know, what he reminds me of such and such? Mm-hmm. And with with South Asian players, I think we need more more players to go through the academy setup, and hopefully someone will make it through the Premier League and you know out at the other end into retirement. And then again, mm-hmm. we can look at these players and think, you know what, this is what such and such player bought um, to the team. And I think we don't have enough South Asian players to go off. And again, we all have our player biases, even as scouts. Yeah. Um, and again, what does a footballer look like in some, you know, if, if you speak to some scouts, a South Asian player may not look like a footballer to them. And I think we, we had that discussion before, didn't we, in regards to, you know, so-and-so play doesn't look like a footballer, but what does a footballer look like? Mm, mm. I think we we were, it were real honoured when we got asked to represent the South Asian action plan by the Premier League, which is a yeah. fantastic scheme that they've, they've started introducing. And um, I think from a selfish perspective, the tournament we hosted, it never crossed my mind to organize something like that before from a personal perspective. Um, and myself and Khalil sort of tasked each other to, right, let's really try and find these South Asian teams within our locality now and bring mm. them all to the academy. And 
yeah, look, a lot of them clubs had never seen that academy before, which we're aggressive with our recruitment. There's not a lot of teams or players that play football in Leeds that haven't been to Thorpe Arch at Weatherby, our academy. But for players to come and go, they've never been here before or knew we're there. We're quite a shock to our system for us to realise how much access are we actually giving here. Mm. Um, and I think off the back of that tournament, from a selfish perspective, we picked up a number of players recruitment-wise. Okay. We we offered a few trials out. It were Premier League forms, by the way, then. We were, yeah, um, Premier League. Yeah. Not YDAs, then, <laughs> like this year. Um, and brought in a number of players into our pre-academy, and we had a lot of success from it, selfishly. From a footballing recruitment perspective, we had a lot of success from it. Um, and off the back of it, we've looked at it and gone, we're already planning for next year about how we upgrade that even more yeah. to, to this year. And I think... That's a credit to the Premier League for having this scheme and starting mm. to really get us in senior positions that can organise these sort of tournaments and festivals to start mm. doing more. Uh, absolutely. Like, having worked at Chelsea a long time, Chelsea are an organisation which are so determined to be the best. Like, they are looking for efficiencies everywhere you know working in that culture working in that environment you're pushed to all that we always want more you know um it comes from our directors um you you get you i always have this feeling it's nuts like you go you know what it's like at pre-academy so you get your players signed at the under nines and you do a signing day and and when once the contracts are all through because I've been through that before in the past when I used to work at QPR and it might have been parents who said, oh yeah, we're going to sign for you. And then like two days before signing day, they go and sign for a bigger club <coughs> and it kills you. Heart, it's heartbreaking. But yeah, and you still even have that. It goes on even at the top the club clubs. Um, players would say, oh yeah, we're going to sign for you. And then maybe it might be last minute drama. So like once you get that those players signed, it's so relentless at Chelsea where it's like well who's next you literally have to just be like okay next year's group um i've got these under eight signed right who's my under sevens who's my under sixes it is a conveyor belt um and yeah i mean it's good if you if you're if you like being in that environment it's a really really enjoyable you know environment to be in but the reason i'm talking about all of this is because clubs it's so competitive to try and get the next Jack Grealish or Reese James or whoever it might be. And we're, we're looking for every edge. And is the edge coming from coaching? Is it coming from recruitment? Chelsea are doing stuff with artificial intelligence now. You know, we're seeing it everywhere across the whole of football. So it, getting into different communities, finding talent that potentially is untapped, um, you know, wh wh where we've been having some conversations, Clil, where you were saying how scouts not maybe going into Asian communities or even things like making it so accessible so players could, could like spend time praying. Yeah. Um, um, how, how much more, like how much more potential is there? I think that's what I want to get to. I want to understand wh we're at, 1% of the South Asian population in academy football. How much can that increase by? I think by quite a bit. Again, I think the Asia, the South Asian um, players are untapped, as, as you've said. And I think it's, you know, scouts like myself going out and giving access to these clubs. Um, I think when I've, when I've spoken to certain scouts from various clubs um, previously, and when we had that phone call, it was that they didn't feel comfortable going into 
some of these South Asian clubs just because, you know, they didn't understand the culture. You know, I, 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 I think I think came from a point of view where if they don't understand the culture, they don't want to say anything, which maybe often. Um, and again, it, when I had these discussions with them, I said any South Asian club would bite your hand off to have a scout there. So again, when I was younger, again, there were no scouts. And if someone told me a scout was coming, whether I'd get scouted or not, it'd been experience in itself to see, you know what, Leeds United, Manchester United, Man City scout came to watch us. Whether we made it or not, it's 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 a different story. But again, I think the main thing for me is these scouts going out and giving access to the South Asian teams. Um, and again, when 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 we're going out, again, what player profiles are we looking for? And is a South Asian player the player profile that you're looking for? It's again when when we go out, when you go out, will you be looking for a certain player profile? And does a South Asian player match that player profile? I think you know that's a discussion for each scout and. You know, when, when me and Bobby speak, we talk about efficient movers. So again, the two South Asian players that we do have in our pre, pre-academy are efficient movers. Mm-hmm. Um, and hence, that's one of the reasons why we have offered them a pre-academy contract. Mm. Um, but again, it's it's what our scouts looking for. And again, that'll only come from education. Mm. That's interesting. I think it's a fantastic, fantastic point in regards to, look, if the scouts listening to this and from different backgrounds and, and like you say, how many are confident to go into these clubs and show the confidence. And I think I've learned loads from Khalil since I started. I'm not an expert on on the Muslim religion or the South Asian community. And I've learned loads from the life of, of these young footballers that come in and the families and how, how they live on a day to day. And I think we've had we've had discussions about Khalil speaking to all our scouts. Yeah. And talking about how how life can be and the yeah. challenges and all these other things. And I think that can help us massively grow as a department again. We want critical thinkers and different scouts from all different diversities and backgrounds and experiences. And I think if we can come together to have more understanding, I think it'll help us in the long run. Well, my friend who works at Fulham, he's said that next to Motsubar Park, there's a big South Korean population. However, there's no South Korean players in the Fulham Academy. So yeah, I mean, Z, what do you think? It's interesting that you say that. <clears throat> If you look at Old Shop Town, I know they're non-league, but they were once in the league. They got a big, massive Nepalese community okay. right next to the ground. You know, yeah. big, big community centre and everything. But they've not had any player uh, come through the system at Old Shop. And if you look at the number of Nepalese players, I would say yes, Bivesh Gurung is currently at Maidstone. Um, it's called yesterday in the FA Cup actually. And then you've also got Kibben Rai, who's at Newport County. Now, there's it's a difficult one to say which other ones because. Where I concentrate mostly is on South Asian communities. So I'm more kind of driven in that, but I'm sure there are other communities like the Turkish Cypriot community that hasn't been tapped into. Um, there's a big uh, Romanian in non-league football. There's a club called FC Romania, which yeah. uh, attracts a lot of Romanian players and community. Uh, and obviously, we've seen an influx of the oh, wrong word. Sorry, we've seen the introduction of like Eastern European uh, communities that have entered. Yeah, are we also looking into those communities as well, and what players could come from them? Um, I think when it comes to talent, again, this is more of your experts' fields. But talent is everywhere, isn't it? That's what we're saying, that you can find talent anywhere. Um, I previously worked in recruitment, and we had targets to attract or make jobs attractive to certain communities that to make uh, organisations more representative mm. of, say, the local community, but also regional as well. Um, and what we had to do was find different ways to say the same message. 
Yeah. So we came to recruitment, we're thinking, right, if it's a language barrier, how do we overcome a language barrier uh, to apply for a role? If it's a, talking about if it's Muslim, do they need a prayer room or player facilities? Can we introduce that? Yeah. It's more about how do you make a place inclusive regarding the community that you're serving? Mm. So they feel welcome to come in, mm. but equally, they also need to be worked from the community to want to come into the system. Mm-hmm. I think it, it goes both ways for us. And you were talking about South Asian clubs and reaching out to them. But if they're the first touch point for young players, which they naturally are, especially from the South Asian communities, are those players being given the right information from the coaches? Are the coaches developed enough to understand what the clubs are looking for? And I think there's a, a synergy that can happen both ways where a professional club like, like Leeds is going into the community, but equally imparting knowledge to the coaches and the parents as well about what the expectations are. Because what happens once a kid goes into the system, it's a whole different level now, isn't it? It's a big level of commitment that's required from the parents. Um, and I'm kind of digressing, but I'll give a point mm-hmm. where there's a, a parent that I know who played non-league football. His yeah. son was at Chelsea, um, but he's living in East London and mm-hmm. he's doing a trip down to Cobham two times, three times a week. And that's an hour and a half journey there and back. That's three hours commitment in the, at least two, three times a week. And you've got the game of the weekend. That's a disruption to how your kind of traditional family structure may be. Are coaches aware that that's what they need to tell parents that once you go into the system, this is what happens. And are parents that well-versed at what they need to do in terms of getting there. So I think that's a, that's a really, that's a really, really interesting point. So do you mind just going a little bit deeper into that? So you just mentioned their traditional family. Yes. Yeah. So can you describe that to me? Describe. If we were, if we were to say traditionally, if you've got a um, father who works, yeah. mother who at home, who runs the house. Yeah. And you have more than one sibling, just say there's two or three kids in the house. Now we know if, if you're going into any kind of, sport or even if it's education if you're going to try and get into an elite kind of environment yeah there's added uh, uh what do you call it commitment required yeah that's going to have some kind of f- disruptive factor in the household because we might be used to the whole school structure of going to school between nine and three uh if you're muslim then you're going to madrasa classes in the evening and then you know if dad's working nine to five mommy's pretty much doing everything now, if you want to go to football, if you want to go to uh, games the weekend, all of a sudden you're, you're, you're disturbing the fabric or disrupting the fabric that you're used to. Um, because football is a requirement. It's a, it's, a, it's a commitment. Oh, massively. And I, I like to tell those stories about the, and we call it disruption, but in a good way. We're mm-hmm. actually saying you are kind of changing or re-engineering how we are as 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 people in that in dynamics because we're entering a new world um i don't want it to be like it's a whole new world but i want to give respect to the game as well in saying that if you want to progress and reach a certain level yeah you will have to make certain sacrifices but there will be it won't be a normal normal way of life so if you've got mm. say on the weekend you go to family just to go go see your grandparents but you've got to go to a game you've got to decide which one is more important yeah if you want to progress in football, I'm guessing you're going to have to select uh, football. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But the wider family may not understand that that's a commitment to say, why are you taking little so-and-so to, to football? You should be coming to the wedding or you should be coming to this event. Absolutely. So those sort of things are kind of, I guess, something that's 
if I say correctly, like in terms of the, in the white communities, they're more related, they can relate to that more than we can. Uh, but we're trying to like instill the fact that this shouldn't be a hindrance, but you will have to make certain sacrifices. You will have to make certain commitments, which is different from the norm. And that's when it becomes a bit more of a lonely journey for certain families. It's, it's so well explained um, and you're spot on. Um, and I want to, delve deep into this um so i'm interested um in kind of maybe understanding like like the history of of yeah how you used the word earlier influx like um when would we have seen like would it have been 60s 70s that in south asian communities would have come to england and established here is that have i got that right yeah it would have been just after partition and uh, the independence in after the 1947 when okay. the independence happened in, in South Asia was so, India and Pakistan. So, and I want to be really, really careful with generalizations yeah. throughout this whole conversation, but um, we would say, right, that's first generation. Yeah. So, so then would there have been a, an attitude and, and that's, you know, that's, this is not just from like South Asian, like first generation families, um, yeah, you can say it with like Caribbeans or whatever it might be. So would would there have been an attitude of like, we're going to come here and work super hard and build a life for our you know future generations? And would there be like strategies to say, right, I've worked really hard in whatever job I've done as, as I first like got here. And then, but, but my children, they are going to be, I don't know, doctors, lawyers, or, you know, they're going to focus a lot on their academics, you know, is that a generalization or is that actually like real? Like, is that what's, what's been happening? I think people are afraid to talk about this topic. Right. And I think the best way to say, is just, just understand the context of it. Right. So yeah. if you are an immigrant uh, family that comes over yeah. and your number one kind of uh, responsibility, but also what you want to do is survive and build a house or yeah. have put a roof over your head or put food on the table you're going to go out and work and at the time if you're in, in working in those industrial kind of blue collar role jobs that's going to be your focus to put food on the table roof over your head yeah as you develop you want to then allow a mobility to happen within the family so if you have children or sons and daughters you want them to achieve more than you did yeah it's all about upward mobility yeah and naturally the best way to do that is through education yeah so you want your 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 children to go to school college university get the degrees and get the top jobs that are in society yeah at the time you send the 70s and 80s there's other factors in, in place as well excuse me in terms of uh there's discrimination and racism outward um representative or representation of say the national front at football, which would have put a lot of people off. Uh, from where I'm from, in, I'm in East London, in, in Forest Gate, <coughs> about West Ham, we used to have a massive NF kind of presence at yeah. games. Yeah. Now, if I, I'm, I'm born in mid 80s, but 70s and early 80s, there was a fear there at the time for the kind of immigrant communities that you're going to get, you know, there's going to be yeah. some kind of violence. Yeah. yeah. So you take precautions and then that becomes a fear factor. Football becomes that kind of symbol of where this is happening. So therefore you stay away from football. 
But that's not to say that people stayed away from football. For young players in the 70s and 80s, they were playing football. The fact is, what happened was they were playing games with, say, if you have a predominantly Asian team that's playing against a predominantly white team, there will be fights on the pitch. And all of a sudden, you're not playing football. You're not, you want to enjoy the game, you want to play the game, but you're, you're involved in these other factors, right? And then that just stays in the mind. That because of Jay Dad's experience back in the day, he might say, I don't want son to go. So I remember when, like, obviously, I lived 10 minutes from where West Ham were playing, right? My mum was really reluctant for me to go to the games. Right. I probably didn't go to the games in my teen years. Mm. I was like, look, it's 10 minutes down on the ground. I want to go watch a game. Thus far, I've had no issues whatsoever from my personal experience going to watch them play. But you know why certain people wouldn't go or wouldn't support a team. Um, and that extends as far as the England national team as well. There are certain people in the Asian community who won't support England. Really? Purely because of their experiences from back in the day. Okay. Now, that's a bit of context. Uh, I can't say that's everyone's experience, but yeah. majority that is okay. Okay. an experience to look into. Now, yeah. how did they then roll into football and development? Well, if you know that there's something that can happen in the stands, the last thing you want to do, especially if you're a parent and you're protective of your child, is send them in an environment where on a day-to-day -day, there might be things happening. Okay. Or the perception that yeah. it might not be a safe environment. Because if okay. it happens in the stands, your then perception is, if I send them into an environment that we don't know or come to with, could something happen at, say, training or during matches? So then it becomes the fact that how do we still play the game that we love but we don't have the pathway to go into, say, mm -hmm, mainstream mm -hmm. play professional. Mm. Then what you saw was in the 80s and uh, 70s and 80s, you saw the influx of South Asian teams. So groups of boys create their own football teams okay. and create their own leagues yeah. to play. Because, you know, we all love the game, we want to play. But playing internally. Inter playing internally. Okay. Because you want to have the same kind of Saturday experience. You want to go to the matches, you want to go to tournaments, you want to go with the lads. You know, it's, football is a okay. great commonality, yeah, it's a great kind of bonding experience. It's fun. I've played yeah. in many tournaments, which didn't matter about the result. We wanted to win, of course, we don't always win. But the, you remember the memories from those tournaments and the fond memories and friendships that form on the back of that. So it's not different to, say, what grassroots football really is about. It's just it got kind of boxed into Asian leagues. Now, when we're talking about South Asian teams, because it became such a, I don't know what the right word is, so I don't want to say it's inclusive, but if you say it's just a league in its own, away from, say, the kind of traditional leagues, would scouts go to an Asian league to look at players? Because the other thing you're looking at, especially with players, is you're looking at individual talent, but you're also looking at who they're coming up against. But you can have a... Uh, a hometown hero who's amazing against another Asian club. But what happens when you put him into an environment where he's going to come across a whole range of players? Mm. That I think that's formed part of the perception as well. Uh, so many things I've added to the perception of why we've not seen this kind of synergy of scouts going into Asian areas. Because one, you may not be aware of it. Secondly, you'd be like, well, what's the standard I'm looking like? And then if you look at the development of South Asian teams <coughs> as well, remember the groups of friends that come together, they weren't thinking about we're going to build a club. Mm. They said, we just want to play. So now what you've got is teens who turn into dads mm -hmm. and then they want their sons to play, right? So there's that, right, we'll create youth teams. And then they start coaching. It's dad coaching, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. coaching son. Now, what does dad know about football? 
he knows only what he knows. Uh, but is that what's required in terms of developing players? Um, there's those are like previous factors. Now we look at well, what my like what I've tried to do in recent years is speak to those clubs and go, what is your level of understanding at? Um, what's missing? Mm. And how do we improve that and in- increase that kind of knowledge, experience? Is it connections? And when I hear what Khalil has done and and, and Bobby is doing. It gives you a bit of kind of solace that yeah, there's a, a synergy being built that you've got someone of knowledge, and you've got a willing, will a willingness as well to want to work with the community. Yeah, I think that's the key part. Mm-hmm. I don't think we know enough about what's happening with other clubs, and I think if if anyone is watching, it'd be good to know what other clubs are doing because the more you know about good practices, <clears throat> the better. And I think that's where we're gonna find yeah talent coming through. Um, I mean, the name of our podcast is Project Footballer and it's come off the meme like Project Mbappe and Project Mbappe is that kind of like joke that a dad is going to raise their son to be a footballer like Mbappe. Like it's, it's, yeah. And it, but in a lot of ways, probably I would say in almost like the last seven years I've seen it, there's some kind of like truth to it in parents are very deliberate with their practice and is having some success and then if you start going back into stories of footballers like David Beckham, Neymar, Pele, like you look at all these like journeys there's so many Frank Lampard, Jamie Redknapp like these there's dads who said my kid's going to be a footballer and they knew they they had almost a blueprint in their mind they might have attempted there's so many semi-pro footballers footballers that maybe didn't quite make it to the highest level but they're like i nearly made it right my kid they're gonna do it and then they just like give all the practice they give all that drive and some of the top players that i know in academy football so like hezzy grimwade khalil mitchell these, these players out on instagram max at man united jj at man united like there's these top kids and I think they're practicing much more than everyone else. I, I believe it's not just down to maybe genetic high natural ceiling. It's that their parents have been quite deliberate with their practice and they put in the hours. Now, taking it all the way back to, to what we're talking about here, um, I want to just drill in to in South Asian communities, do you think in this generation of parent that there is a desire and a willingness for their children to be footballers? 100%. Um, the parents I've come across, um, they do whatever they can. Um, so I was just speaking to a parent the other day. Um, he sent me a text um, and he gave me a CV um, about his kid. So his grassroots, where he trains. Um, and a lot of them do. A, a, a lot of them really do. Um, Again, it's 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 with the newer generation. The parents have a better understanding of the academy system. So um, when I do scout, <clears throat> um, but this is for any player um, that I do scout, I'll explain to them the process. So with Leeds, we'll have our you know entry hubs, the development centres, then we have our breakthrough squad, and then we have our first team. So when I do scout a player, I'll I'll, I'll, I'll explain to them <clears throat> the the parents the process of coming into the development centre, and I think with a lot of the South Asian clubs right now, they have a better understanding of the academy setup. If you maybe asked 10 years ago, probably not. You know, I, I remember speaking to a parent the other day 
and he thought when his son got scouted at the development center, he was with the first team. So um, a lot changed, and I think there's there has been a lot more education um, with these parents. Um, but one hundred percent, the parents I know within the South Asian community put a lot of hard work into their kids. Um, and even but, the but so so anecdotally, you've heard parents from South Asian backgrounds say. I want my kid to be a footballer. Like, you know, that's what they're, yeah, there's a desire for that. Yeah, yeah, okay. so, yeah. Yeah, they're, they're going down the Project Mbappe route. Okay. Um, <laughs> yeah, um, and a lot of them putting a lot of hard work in, a, 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 lot, a lot of hard work, and we know how ruthless academy football is. So, so when we were preparing for this episode, we put out some messages out on Instagram and we said, <coughs> look, this is a subject that we're going to be talking about. Man, we had so many messages, like, we could tell this is an important subject mm. and you were having it from like, because we were quite open with how we like put it out there. We said, look, this is a subject we're going to talk about. If anyone's got any opinions or research they can direct us to, you know, reach out. And so then we were getting messages from parents who have kids in academies and they were saying their experiences. And by the way, like, you know, again, like messaging, mentioning what Riz and Shalash have been saying, mm. like there is a lot of improvement, like that there's so, there's a lot more academy kids than there were in the past mm. um, of South Asian <clears throat> backgrounds. And um, we're, we're definitely progressing in the right direction in this space. But yeah, there was then people saying, oh, I've had this experience. Um, this hasn't been so good for me. Um, and then sometimes people would say things like, yeah, they just think that we play cricket um, they think that we we just want our kids to be doctors or dentists, you know, like it's like that. Um, then then did have messages like that from other other trolls or just people giving their opinion. They they would say they they just play cricket, like so. Yeah, how do we? Yeah, how do we respond to that? I mean, Bobby, like what's what have you seen, um, like in the conversa- in the players that you've signed with with Leeds? Mm-hmm. Um, what's been your experience with like the conversations that you've had with parents? I mean, I think you can do a whole episode on on, on parents and and everything now, and yeah, everything else. And I think from my perspective, I think football now it's a wealthy sport. I genuinely think it is. There's a handful of these clubs that provide expenditure and and, and support for families, but. The majority, the vast amount of academies don't. And to get to an academy four times a week is a massive, massive ask for, for parents. And I'm just going off some of the points we've made in, in the last last few minutes. And I think it is a wealthy sport, football. To join an academy, unless you're getting financial support, which only a hand, handful of clubs do, it's a wealthy sport to get to and from. Um, and you talk about the parents and, and all different aspects of it and... It's managing expectation and everything else. And in my experience, look, when we hosted the South Asian Action Plan, them parents were as ruthless as any other tournament that you could get. And, and Khalil, I'm sure, backed me up on that. They were kicking every ball for them, for them kids on that day. Um, I think ultimately it, it, it's it's doing more from our perspective to try and um, educate our scouts. And that's that's how I see, I see it. Do you, yeah, I think it's all about education. I think for any scouts who are listening, when you think of a South Asian footballer, like what, what comes to your mind? If you speak to many scouts again, and I've already alluded to earlier in regards to player bias. Mm. <clears throat> Would you give a South Asian footballer um, 
you know, the benefit of the doubt. If you had three similar players mm. from different ethnicities, would the South Asian footballer get the benefit of the doubt or would you go for the tried and tested players they've had historically? Mm. Um, and again, it's breaking the stigma. Well, look, we have kids at Leeds. We've lost kids this season that have gone to play golf, have gone to play tennis at an elite level. And it's breaking, it's breaking the stigma of that. I mean... We're based, our academy is not based in Leeds. We're based in Weatherby, 20 miles north of Leeds. It's a very, very affluent area, very affluent, white British affluent area. Um, and we as a club and a community have a duty, a service, in my opinion, to offer opportunity to every corner of our geog geography from foundation phase within an hour to 12 and above to an hour and 30 minutes to give as much opportunity as what we can. Mm. And what more can we do when we talk about the diversity and variety within our groups? What more can we do to hit all corners of, 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 our, of our geography with inner city leads and get players up to our academy? Because I'm still I, I'm still within my role trying to do as much as I can for us to get into inner city leads because it's a very difficult journey for these kids and families within these areas to get up to Thorpe Arch at our academy based at Weatherby. Mm -hmm. It's really difficult. And again, just talking about some of the things earlier, Grassroot is the entry point for, for football and where we find our players it's from a recruitment perspective. Obviously now the game is JPL, there's all this stuff going off and different avenues. But again, I'd be interested to hear both of your thoughts on the variety of diversity within grassroots. Like, How do you select what team you join at grassroots? Do you just go to your local team or do you go, they're a one, Division 1 team, I want to go and join them? Looking at the South Asian festival that we've run these are just purely based all south asian players you can go to play another team in in hands with boys in sheffield for example sorry i'm from sheffield that's why i'm using that example predominantly white british all the team why in grassroots is there that arguable lack of variety of diversity as well within within grassroots and i think that's another interesting one from from my perspective when we've played South Asian players, they're usually predominantly just a team of South Asian players. From my my experience, there's not many teams where I'm seeing one or two South Asian players in a traditional white British team of players. I, I, I've rarely seen that mixture, in, in my opinion. I think what comes to mind, and I can think of Z, you can probably shed light on this, is a lot of the South Asian clubs are like community clubs. So they started off for the local community. Um, I remember, so my local club's Mount Pleasant Football Club. Yeah. And again, you know, it's, it started off for the local community. In, in, so initially started off by we hosted we hosted a moss tournament and that's how a lot of us got together and then over time then that developed into a junior football league so a junior football team and again historically anyone within the community will probably go to these clubs because it's easy access you know who's running it um i understand where where's, where bobby's coming from because when we do see a lot of the south asian teams or players you know predominantly they come from a team which potentially has 90, 95% South Asian players. But again, I think it's more of the commu community aspect. See, I don't think that's representative of London. Okay. Yeah. That sounds like a thing outside of London. Because, yeah. yeah, I mean, I, my experience, and I cover a lot of London, so you would see it would be proportionate to, I mean, I, I actually need to look at the data for mm -hmm. what the population of South Asian people there is in London. Do you know that? See? No. no. Okay. But I would say it would be reflective of the the population. Okay. Yeah, and it's very mixed. Yeah, mm. I, I think it is. I can't think of teams 
and maybe maybe that's me as a scout yeah. not going into those communities but i don't think it's that case yeah. um i think i think it's generally like spread out i think up north i think we have a d different demographic um, in comparison right. to down yen i think so if, if you come up north like so bradford has a high population of south asian yeah you know, south asian players it's a south asian community um so you, you may you may get two three clubs we just have predominantly south asian players okay in the area which i'm from badly dewsbury you'll have clubs in the community which are predominantly south asian not saying you'll have players who aren't south asian players from but again they're what i believe initially community clubs um um and that, that that's just that that's just my experience and i think some of them may potentially i'm oh, sorry sorry oh. to interrupt oh, yeah. no, sorry actually oh, yeah. your point sorry um and i think again being community clubs it might be just okay we just want our kids to play football we don't expect them to yeah. potentially make it yeah at an academy level yeah but from these community clubs we've we've, we've picked up some some good talent all right um and there's one kid who um we picked up um and he's now being moved up within four weeks to our breakthrough group yeah um, that we were just discussing on the way uh, way down here and that's within within four weeks of him being scouted yeah um, now he's being pushed up to our under nines breakthrough group um, and again he came from a community club so again because because that's it like i mean it doesn't have to be like if if um groups are comfortable in their in their environment and they enjoy the team and they've got other friends like the parents are friends and they all know each other um yeah i mean it's, it's fine to have that i'm yeah. thinking of some of the like locally to where i live in in teddington um I've seen some clubs there where like, like Teddington, man, it's like, it's a very affluent area. Um, and then going, but I'm, I'm not from there. I was mm. born in Isleworth and then I've gone, gone to live in Teddington in more recent years. And then when I've like gone there, um, yeah, I was, I was quite surprised at the way people were approaching football because so, that you'd have dads, um, and this would be predominantly white. Um, you'd have dads together and they'd be, they, they'd have poor knowledge of the pathways into pro football and they wouldn't understand the amount of practice time required. They wouldn't understand how aggressive their children should be. They would be comfortable splitting the week up with a little bit of football, playing some rugby, playing some tennis, and it would be very social. I know that the dads, I'm thinking of like quite a few different examples of teams that I've seen over the years, but like the dads almost would, would see it as like maybe a bit of networking, you know, maybe they work in the city as bankers and then they're back and then it's, it's a way for them getting on themselves. And then very, very social, very social. And like, it's fine. But then if those dads started to then also wanted to like try their hand at, at getting into the pro side of things, sometimes i would in my head think you're a bit deluded because you're not you're, you're you're raising your kid in a way where they're not made up to go and compete against let's give an example from a kid from south london who's who's the dad is very very driven the dad's practicing super hard with the kids um and maybe that's an environment where the kid is playing with other older boys and girls and you know they're on in cage environments and a bit like harsher environments and so then that comes through in their football in the way they tackle and the ways they use their body their mentality the way that they approach training and so those kids from teddington 
and I'm sorry, Teddington, I'm sorry, I don't need to use the exact example. I'm just <laughs> making this point because there has been a ton of good players from Teddington as well. But um, yeah, those kids in that example that are just dipping their toe into football, they don't have a chance. Um, now, that's an education piece. Like, I've had some examples where I've, like, with, with my company, We Make Footballers, we've, we've got a centre in Teddington and we've been able to educate parents early enough to say, this is the pathway. Like you need to, you need to go in and, and maybe they get rejected at Chelsea. And, but then it's like, they've, they've seen what the level is like. So then it, but they've, they've started to then up their program. They started to practice loads. They started to go and get a one-to-one -one coach and a good one-to-one -one coach's experience with getting kids signed. And they start understanding and then they start competing against other tournaments, high level tournaments. So they start getting on the journey and they do it just early enough at under sevens, under eights, where they can still go and get signed at another club, maybe if it's not Chelsea, if they, if in the four, five, six age group, they've been raised a different way. And I think even, God, I know it sounds crazy, but maybe even the way parents raise their kids from the moment they're born, like one year old, two year old. Again, I'll use this example of Khalil Mitchell. We did an interview with his dad. Um, it's one of our first early episodes, but he is one of the top players in Europe. And I remember asking Perry, his dad, I said, yeah, how do you talk to him? Like when he was like two years old, three years old, like, how are you talking to him? And he said, well, I'm not babying him. I'm I'm talking to him like a grown up because why am I gonna baby my kid? Because eventually I'm gonna have to coach that out of him. So let's start. So I can imagine the way Perry was interacting with Khalil. So by the time Khalil came to We Make Footballers when he was like four years old and three years old, he comes, We like our coaches start meeting him and I meet, meet him and he's a kid who is able to learn very quickly and he's able to play against older kids. And very, very quickly he's then, you know, once he gets to five and six and you start meeting other academy kids in development centers, Khalil is like dominating almost you're thinking back to the way he was like raised from the start and his dad in the episode says i see football like a trade like becoming a plumber and i'm raising my kid like that wow. yeah and so imagine you know your parent and i'm going to give this example of the the white parent from teddington let's go to that example <coughs> how like the way that they're raising their kid and then their kid going and playing against khalil it's not a fair competition because he's been raised a whole different way. And now bringing it all the way back into the South Asian conversation, there's probably examples of South Asian families where they don't understand what it takes to, to get to, to like your kid to the pro academy level. Yeah, and I think that comes down to education. And again, do they have someone else within the community who they can speak to has gone through the academy system? And again, talking about South Asian players and you know me being Muslim myself, and as Z also like you know, touched upon earlier in regard to mosques, for example, and 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 for us, it'll be going to school, and then we'll be going to mosque. So where I'm from, we'll be going to mosque from Monday to Friday, 
um, five till seven fifteen. So it's again, where do you fit football in? So the 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 two boys that we have, um, the way that they've done it is, you know, um, one of them they get Zoom classes. So as soon as they finish training session, um, up up at pre academy, they'll go home, and then they'll have um, a one hour Zoom session. Um, and the, the 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 other kid that we have, the parent takes on himself to basically catch up on anything that they've missed during the week. And I think it's good for scouts to understand that because it's all well and good saying, okay, we've scouted you, but then we're going mosque Monday to Friday. Okay, so where, where do we fit in? Um, and this is where me and Bobby had a discussion where we're getting more South Asian players in who uh, whose religion is Islam. So... For them, it's now, okay, we're going to build a quiet room within Thorpe Arch. So that'll be for anyone, but for, for our Muslim parents, it'll be coming in and they can do their five daily prayers. So, um, and that, that'll be huge for not just the parents, but also for the players once once they start praying. And it's just, you know, as as a club, I think it's just understanding the, the needs, the needs of our players and mm. the, the, the different cultures and religions that there are. Mm. Um think and the families as well like it's not just the players this <laughs> the sport we provide is a massive commitment for families as well so providing a service for for the parents and the families is, is just as important as the players um just alluding to some of your points Sean that yeah. are, are great by the way um for me there's no written formula on, on, on what makes a, a player mm -hmm. some have driven parents some kids find their own way some yep. kids for me, it's that journey that, that creates the player and what hurdles they overcome upon that journey. And there's a million different factors and that might that, that might be. It might be an imposter syndrome for a kid that has loads of challenges in regards to the background, where they're from, whatever, within the, the academy system. It could be a late birthday that, that they have to overcome being um, a later developer than other players. I think for me, that's what defines that journey. And like you say, recruitment is so aggressive now with every club it's 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 dog eat dog and it's each club trying to get the best and get one over the rivals because ultimately i'm judged on getting the best and if i lose a player to man united man city the fingers are, are pointed at me hence same as with you guys down here with your competitors it's, it's 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 such a difficult environment but again it comes back to these clubs and going what are we doing morally correct as a club and how can we educate parents at such a young age to understand the process from start to finish? And I think it has to start at pre-academy. Does morals need to come into it? For me, they do. I think, look, football, football academies are a fantastic place for young kids that get unbelievable experience, education, everything else. And I know football always have this stigma of, the 0.01% club and all it does is you get churned up and get spat back out into into the, the open world. But academies do a lot of really good things. Yeah. Provide a great experience and opportunity for young players. Um, and I think we have to remember that, of course, our ultimate aim as an academy is to get players walking out on our first team pitch and creating careers for, for, young, for young, yeah. young footballers. But there is a massive, massive amount that will not play football full time at the yeah. end of it. And I think parents have to know that yeah. from the early beginnings. And I know every every parent and family will, will deal with their kids differently. And it's not my job or anyone's job to sit here and say, this is the correct way of doing things. Um, but I think we do have a moral, we should have a moral standpoint. And I think from a recruitment perspective, that's, that's from my perspective. That's what I want to try and ensure we do at Leeds with all my scouts and staff that 
we're not giving any false promises or anything like that. Oh, I see what you mean. Okay. And we're educating from the start about the chances of these kids progressing through and managing things. You talk about social media now being a, a massive factor. You look at the rising ballers pages and all this sort of stuff that's coming out and Instagram accounts run by parents for seven-year-old boys. Yeah. Pretending they're professional footballers already at seven. I think it does have this massive stigma and I think we can educate more. I think there is a lot of education, but I think there's always room to do more. Yeah, I suppose I was just picking up on when you were saying that, like using the word like moral, mm -hmm. um, I don't think anyone's saying like talking to Riz and talking to Shalesh, no one's looking for any like preferential treatment. Like it's, it's not that. And, and ultimately the clubs, I can't speak on behalf of Leeds, of, of course, but like I gave the point earlier about the efficiencies and trying to be better and be better over our competition. Chelsea want to be better than Tottenham, want to be better than Arsenal. So if we can get into communities that are untapped yeah. and find talented players, then we're going to have a better academy than them. Yeah. And I think that's the drive. And through that drive, you, you have to find ways that you can use strategies like engage educating scouts, um, going out and meeting communities that you might not have met in the past, mm. breaking down biases. And then if you do all of that and the numbers still are only 1% mm. of academy kids who are, let's say of the example, South Asian background, even though the population is 6%, then that's a whole other question. Yeah. Because then, I mean, there's something that I wanted to bring up, um, like genealogy, you know, something that, again, is another like stigma. Um, and is, is it right? You know, the genetics, like do, do South Asians have the genetics to play Premier League football? What, what do you think about that? See? It's an interesting point about genetics. Um, talk about Jamie Vardy. Was he equipped to play Premier League football when he was in non-league football? He's taken to Premier League football and he's, what, he's scoring like 15, 20 goals a season on a regular. Um, but his starting point wasn't Premier League and wasn't the Premier League Academy. So does that mean that if you look at his build as well, is it equipped for Premier League football? We say yes. Yeah, definitely. Right. If yeah, you look his at, top speed must be 18 yeah. miles per hour. He's a quick guy. Yeah. So are we looking at a genetic makeup that just determines the factors that you need to be a Premier League footballer or are you looking at the look and physique? Because sometimes as a scout, you're not going to know the genealogy of a player, right? You're going to see the look and feel of how they are on the pitch when you're scouting a player, right? So does that give what kind of data are you going by uh, when you're scouting players? Is it, are you looking at that kind of stuff or because if we're talking about ge genetics, yeah. we're kind of almost eliminating if you've got this understanding or this perception that genetics plays a role and therefore because we haven't seen South Asian athletes predominantly on the like a world stage in any in athletics or wherever it is therefore that must mean they don't have the makeup and build but I don't believe that scouts are looking like are looking at that when they go and see players or are they it's a factor yeah yeah it's a factor you you say does this player have the long-term potential to be a Premier League player. And sometimes you have questions about the family, like that That would be, you know, scout. other scouts would say, let's say a goalkeeper, it's easiest to use a goalkeeper example. If I want to go and scout an eight-year-old goalkeeper, 
and I'm going to bring the, that player into the advanced group and maybe that goalkeeper is going to come in late in the day against other goalies that we've got, then the other scouts might say, all right, Sean, describe this goalkeeper. Why are you bringing him in? A brave, big personality, make good saves. Tall, all right, tall now, but seven-year-olds can get tall very early, but it doesn't mean they go and fill that out once they get to 18. Yeah. So it's then, what are the family like? You say, yeah, fam family are, yeah, brother is six foot nine or whatever it might be. So then you're like, oh, interesting, right. So, so yeah, family does play a part in the conversation. I think because not many South Asian players have come out on the other end, you don't have anything to base it off. And I think for me, when I'm scouting players in general, I just look for an outstanding quality. So whether yeah. that's pace, whether that's where that they move, that's whether that it's their technical ability. And again, touching on goalkeepers, it's okay looking at how, how tall the dad is um, and, and the mummies. And yeah. the, but again, I, I don't look at South Asian players or, or any players for that matter and say, you know, genetically they're not. They're not going to be Premier League players. I'd scout in the moment, seeing what the outstanding quality is at that point, and then seeing, okay, if they get into our elite squad, where do they fit in? Are they going to be a fullback? Are they going to be a winger? Are they going to be a centre-back? It'll, it'll, it'll vary from player to player. Um, and that's that's what I do when I go out. So um, I think, again, like speaking from a, a scouting perspective, some I think the basis of it is the key word is potential. And our job in youth development is to predict the future. We're trying yeah. to predict the future. It's yeah. not about right now. We're not creating a winning team. We will create. We want individuals to get through a system. Yeah. So we're spotting what the future looks like, and we've all got different experiences. Like I'm, I'm, I'm 28. I'm, I'm still new to see that journey and cycle where I work with scouts and work with people that have seen the journey of players and have had an experience for 40 years and seen that cycle. They relate to what's been successful and what they see playing in Premier League now and what they see of earned professional contracts. And I think the natural factor is right now, if we see, for example, you see a South Asian young boy at seven or eight years old, your traditional national, my, my, my thought process is we don't see as many South Asian players playing the Premier League or in elite football now. All right. So my bias will potentially be, well, if that's not the future that I'm trying to predict and I'm not seeing that now, then is that the right type of player we should be bringing in? And I think that stigma has to change over time with the more success stories we have. And I think that will change. Like, it was funny, like talking again to Shalesh, we're having this conversation and by the way, like I've only, since preparing for this episode, I've really started understanding about this conversation, not really thought about it that much in the past. Like, I, and, and then when we're having the conversation, do you guys know Farhan Wahid? Mm -hmm. Okay, so Farhan is under 18s at Fulham, first year scholar, doing really, really well, been at England camps. He, he's doing outstanding, like, yeah, he's one, one of the top players in the country, um, Bangladeshi background. Um, so he started at our company, We Make Footballers. He was, I think, five years old. He's, he's come in there and the way it works at We Make Footballers and for people that have listened to this podcast for a long time, probably heard me going on about this a lot, but you know, I just sort of kind of explain it because it is, it is relative. So uh, we, we for, for six months, we're in indoor halls because we do a lot with the younger age groups. And I think if you're standing still in England in winter, it's too cold, mm. you don't want to be outdoors. Mm. So we've got all indoor halls, but then if you can't do a five against five or a four, against, four v four in an indoor hall. So it came about where we started doing one against ones. Mm. And the great thing about one against ones is you get to match players up against players of their physical size and you force players 
to get on the ball. So from a talent ID point of view, you are just seeing these players that maybe are not being seen elsewhere in like 5v5, muddy grassroots pitches. So anyway, so I remember it well, I don't know how many years ago it would have been, uh, but yeah, I'm there in Isworth at this sports hall and Farhan's parents come and the mum and dad are there, maybe, maybe even his little brother, and he would have been like five years old at the time. Anyway, a five-year-old, the way that it's in a sports hall with four bagmans and courts, we'd put the four and five-year-olds at one end of the pitch and it gradually goes up to seven-year-olds. So you've got four to seven-year-olds in one hour. The pitch on the far end is going to be with your youngest kids and maybe even some five-year-olds that are not super strong at football. Uh, so anyway, so we start Farhan there because he's new and he's five. In his 1v1s, he just takes the mick. <laughs> like his change of direction is unbelievable. His speed, like, it's like, oh my God. All right, okay, let's move him up a pitch. And so you move him on to the next pitch. Again, takes the mick, just doing amazing. He ends up with like the seven-year-olds and he's he's only five. And like I remember ringing one of the Chelsea scouts on the day and saying, I think I've seen an unbelievable player today. And I even said like R9 Ronaldo. I was like, he's like R9 Ronaldo. He's he is so good. And the thing, and the thing with Farhan, so then like, you know, they're fortunate because, yeah, like we met each other. I've at the time, you know, I've had a lot of background in football, so I've seen journeys. And I mean, like Michael Elise, so I've got him in my head knowing what he's like at is similar age, like six years old, seven years old. So I've got benchmarks, seen Reese James, I've seen other ones. So then I know like Farhan at five years old being that good, right? I'm like, I'm like grabbing the parents and say, give me your phone number. We, you know, you're not going anywhere. You're staying with us. And I said, I've got a team for you to play for coaching an under sevens team. I was like, you're going to come play for my under sevens team and with other good academy kids. <coughs> so then, and I said, you're going to go Chelsea. I'm going to get you Chelsea. And, and so then, yeah, he started the journey. Like he was fortunate that he got into that pathway. Um, and then like it's turned out as well from, so that's like Farhan's journey. From that then, like having a conversation with Celeste, like we're, we're talking more and I'm saying, oh yeah, um, you, know, you know Rohan Lufra at Cardiff? So again, he's from Old Eyes Worthy and he's from our club. Um, I was friends with the dad, got his boy into our club. Again, he was, he was, the dad's playing playing cricket. Like they're not they're not involved in like football. But I got him into scouted him into Chelsea. Unfortunately, he did get released from Chelsea. But he's he's found his journey and he's a pro footballer now. Um, so now you know there's that journey. Um, then Yaya, who ended up signing for Tottenham, he's he's unfortunately been released at like under 13s, but he was there a good while under 12s and under 13s. But we I had Yaya in Farhan's team. Um, it basically turns out Amar, who's Shalash's son, the, the scholar at Watford, like I've, I've been involved in like scouting a ton of kids from like South Asian backgrounds, but it's not through any way of like, I'm out there looking for them. Like I, I didn't even think about it till we started having this conversation. Um, Oliver Kinder as well, who signed that he's got, you know, Oliver Kinder, Sutton. where's he playing now? Sutton United. Is he Sutton? Oh, yeah, brilliant. Yeah. Yeah, so yeah, so his dad was my friend and then yeah, got him in and then he's got he got high at Crystal Palace, didn't he? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, so like a ton of journeys, but it's without like trying. Yeah. It's just I want to be the best scout. 
and I want to get players signed to clubs. So, sorry, I want to get players signed to Chelsea. If they can't get signed to Chelsea, I'll help them sign somewhere else. No, no, no. But it's like, it's just you help kids be the best they can be. And yeah, I mean, that I feel like that should be the attitude of scouts. It's like not not looking at colour. Yeah, absolutely. we, We just don't think about it. I think it's great, Sean. I think you ultimately, where do academy players come from? They get scouted. <laughs> That's just a fact. So we talk about representation in academies. <clears throat> Every player gets scouted. And who scout? Who, where do they get scouted from? Our scouts that are employed by clubs to go and look. And again, I think we could all we could all go watch a game of football now in front of us on a TV screen and pick out who the best player is. Yeah. But the best scouts are the ones that delve deeper into the journeys of maybe the little left back who's not really impacted the game, but he's actually been beat 1v1 once. In fact, that kid who thinks the best player on the pitch is mum and dad are really wealthy and they pay £500 a month for him to go to private schooling, where uh, private football sessions where he's getting one-to-ones on a regular basis, where the left back only plays football once a week with his grassroots team. And I think it's, again, get to knowing the, the backgrounds and delving deeper into the education of more about these kids when we're recruiting, understanding what exposure they've got, the birthdays, all this sort of thing. And I think that will naturally just help our recruitment in general. And I think that's the important thing for me, looking at the real backgrounds of these kids. Mm. Sean, can I ask, like you're talking about um, Rohan and Farhan, when you in your first interaction with the parents, what was that like? They were a bit, so Rohan's dad is a very confident guy. He sort of takes a lot in his strides. He's, um, he ran a successful dentist um, surgery. And so he's like a confident man. Um, and he took took it all in stride. Um, Farhan's parents, very, very humble. I feel like they were very like shell-shocked. Yeah, they, um, and like I, I had a conversation with them this week as we was like preparing for this episode and we we're sort of catching up. And we can take ourselves back. We can all take our minds back to the first meeting and they, they said to me, they didn't believe what I was going on about when I'm saying to them, right, okay, you're going Chelsea, you're going this, you're doing this. They're just like, this guy's nuts. Yeah. <laughs> and and the same with Amar's dad, the same with um, Shalash. He, he apparently, like he was at this soccer school. It was an Arsenal soccer school. Chelsea had told me about it and I just joined Chelsea at the time. So I'm a very like, you know, a hardworking scout. I'm not, <laughs> they're a hardworking scout. So, and especially at that age, I would go and get amongst it. So so I've heard that this is Arsenal Soccer School. It's not Academy, it's their foundation program. But I'm like, I'm going there. So I went there and then I've then seen Amar and I'm like, right, he's decent, he's good. So then the dad's in a car park and then I've given him a card. And when we were catching up the other day, he's saying to me that he thought it was like dodgy as hell. <laughs> he was like, who's this guy? He, you know, what? And he went on, he apparently checked me out on LinkedIn. He, he, and then when he saw it was all legitimate, then he then like rang me up and he was saying, right, wow. But that, I was like, that's so funny. Cause I was like, couldn't remember it really. And then he was then saying, I was thinking, so you were actually at Arsenal, you were in their program, but they weren't identifying you. And he was like, no, no, it was like you saw Amar and you got him into the program because once you get into a development center, then the other clubs then yeah. will, will scout because they're like, oh, that's a player. It's almost been accredited. So then he then got scouted by all the other clubs and like signed for Arsenal. But yeah, um, uh, the, the parents, I suppose, yeah, like to your question, yeah, a bit probably uncertain, you know? Yeah. 
I'm well, they, sure they would have got confidence Jetma. from you, right? They would have said, all right, scouts approached us. Then there's a level of confidence that comes on the back of that, doesn't it? That maybe there's something here because imagine, a lot of parents will think my son is X and he's going to be the next Y, right? But when a scout comes and speaks to you, I think there's a level, different level of confidence that comes into the parent going, okay, cool. Now, what do we do next? I think that's the key part is also understanding what did those kids do next to get to where they are. So Rohan now pro footballer, Farhan uh, saying he's a scholar. Um, your first touch point with them was very young and very early. Um, the education part for in terms of like South Asian communities, like what happened then from that point? Is it just they just go to Chelsea and there's a trial or is there like a yes. preparation process? And then what's that next level up? Because yeah. all we're trying to do is always level up our understanding. Yeah. But also there's work to be put in as well. Yeah, and I think there's some learning for parents that are listening to these examples and these stories, and th this is learning for every race. Um, so I, again, thinking back to how it will happen with meeting Farhan, because I was thinking about it, I was thinking, all right, so if I hadn't met him and I hadn't met the family, what could have been his journey? And before he'd come to We Met Footballers, he was playing at a, a local club where they showed me like a video, they had sort of 10 against 10, just a free for all. Yeah, it was terrible. It was terrible. Like the dads would say that. I don't, I, can't, I don't know what coaching company, I don't know if it still exists anymore, but it was down the road and they were just doing 10 v 10 and it was yeah, free for all. What if he hadn't gone to a better environment and met someone at the right stage who could then tell them exactly what to do and nurture him? Because let's give sorry i'd give example with farhan farhan is a very short boy he's always been short he's been small for his age he's been fast but he was he's been he's short and my, our environment i got 1v1s and so then we're able to see his change of direction and his burst of like short speed so then you're able to then bring him in. And then when he then joined my under six training and my under sevens, that was like separate for a team, then I'm able to then give him the next stuff and we're able to put him in Chelsea Development Center and then new challenges came. So Farhan didn't become a footballer because he was fast and could change direction well. He's also just a super, super intelligent kid. His parents are amazing, great family network. Uh, they he, he's 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 able to learn skill very very quickly and i don't know how that happens whether that's you know part of like his natural ceiling and he's very coordinated or something to do with his mind his intelligence and the way that he was brought up that's a you know we, that's a whole nother podcast but he was able to learn skill like so quickly, like there's this there's videos of when at Chelsea, he was playing with the first team in the under eight signing day. And he's like nutmegging Drogba and like skilling up John Terry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a really cool video. And yeah, his skill was ridiculous. And these videos of him doing like, you know, a thousand kickups at under eights. So, so, but then, but then he's also got a mentality where we might've been four, two down in a game at under sevens. And I'm saying to Farhan, you have to be the star player here. You step up, you get us these goals back. You go and do something. And then he would, he would just score like three goals in the next half. And I'm thinking back to similar conversations you might've had with like Michael Elise or some of those players. And you're putting Farhan at that same level. And I think, I mean, the parents want to be really, really careful with his journey, but 
I do think that's what this conversation needs. We, we There needs to be a South Asian player go into the Premier League and smash it and be sold for 60 million or something like that. Go and play Champions League. And I think without putting pressure onto Farhan, because you know maybe there'll be another South Asian player that will do it, but fingers crossed it is Farhan, but they could inspire so many other young South Asian footballers. 100% because I think for those players, they can look up to him and say, you know what, he's made it. Yeah. Oh, he comes from a, a similar background to me, so he'll understand my struggles. And again, I think at the South Asian footballer, um, like, you know, playing grassroots myself when I was younger, there wasn't anyone who looked like me or who went through a similar journey to me who's made it. Made in the Premier League, who's played at a Champions League level, played uh, played in a World Cup. And I think, I think hopefully someone will break through and with a new generation of kids, you know, they'll be able to look up to one of these players, whether it's Farhan, and say, you know what, I want to be him. Yeah. And again, it just takes one to break that mold. And, you know, you know, I'm confident that someone will will come through. Yeah. Um it's just it's just a matter of time. Mm. And and like scouting right now, for example, especially at pre academy level, you no, know, I won't, you know, you won't see it maybe for another six, seven years, you know, once they turn 13, 14, whether they're gonna potentially get a scholar in the future or so again it's i think me and z spoke about it about it when we met in loughborough is are you willing to wait you know see this journey so for example if you scout a kid at eight nine you know we're willing to wait until they're 16 17 to see whether whether you know they'll make it. and it's it, it's a long journey because kids get some kids get released some kids will make it through into the first team and again it, it is a long journey and and me and bobby always speak about is how important pre-academy is and right now, you know, we've brought a lot of kids into the pre-academy um, and, you know, the, the two kids that we have, that we have offered, you know, hopefully, you know, they, they, they can do well and progress within, within our academy. Who's, who's the boy at Aston Villa who's doing really well? Um, He's apparently Aston Villa's like top player. He was at Luton and then Luton had him mm -hmm. in their foundation program, weren't offering him. And then he went into Villa in the under 14s and it's become like one of their top players. And mm. Shalash was saying this to me. It sounded like fascinating, but it's another example where mm. people are sitting on talent, not realizing mm. it, not appreciating it. And then another club has gone, wow, amazing. Yeah. Like, we'll, we'll get you in. We'll have him. I mean, I'm, from my perspective, I worked at Sheffield United previously and Sai Sachdev had uh, come, come from grassroots into, into Sheffield United. And obviously he's recently had an England 17 call up. So. He's another example. We're all talking about examples now in our own environments um, of uh, these type of players, which we're, we're hoping to relate to them even more. From my perspective, I think the more the Premier League and these big organisations are, are doing with clubs, from my own experience in regards to the South Asian action plan that were put towards Leeds to, to host, were a massive sort of turning point for us. Mm. The more of these projects that are introduced and, and clubs doing more, I think you'll just naturally see progression. And I think... In, in the world we're working in, we are seeing more progression and more being done, mm, more mm, opportunity mm. for these players and exposure for these players. And mm. I think that's the starting point mm -hmm, is mm -hmm. by getting exposure and opportunity. And that's where it all starts. And I think naturally that'll then create more England call-ups, more national call-ups from whatever nation uh, they may represent. And I think that's when then naturally we'll start relating to it as a team of scouts and more opportunity. And I think mm. that's where it starts. But I'm seeing a lot of progress, which is is really positive so something again preparing for this episode something that came up in the research that made me think 
in America, in the NFL, is 70% black. The NBA is 75% played by black players. The population in America is 13% black. So, I mean, again, with with less less talk, without giving stereotypes and generalizations, but also looking at this conversation around genetics, it's said by a lot of people that black people have higher natural ceilings in power and speed. We, there's a guy called Jonas who's a speed coach. Um, we've done an amazing episode with him and I wanna, we're doing a part two with him. And this is something I wanna talk to him about. And I wanna do a lot more research in this space, <coughs> but trying to understand there, like how that's happening with with that, you know, 13% of American population, but then the um, black people are dominating two of their biggest sports. That that has to be down to like their genet superior genetics or their genetics that are more suitable for those sports. The, the England national team, we, in our last game we just had, we were 54% black and mixed race. Um, so we had six players starting and, and we've got one second and we've in England, we only have it's something like it's 5% of the English population are black and with mixed black heritage. So, and, and in premier league, it's, it's 43% black players playing in the premier league. So. Can you guys try and maybe give your opinion on why you think that is happening? I think, again, I, you know, <clears throat> I'm not explaining the genetic factor, but I think, again, what we alluded to earlier was historically which players have made it. And again, you know, I, if, if you look at certain players, like, well, such and such looks like such and such player and hence why, hence why we'll be taking them on. Um, and I think it's, again, if you just look at the Premier League and if you're seeing a lot more like, you know, black players um, as scouts, then potentially looking at, you know, he reminds me of, you know. But, but that bias, so I get what you're saying yeah. there. There's There might be a, a bias that's happening, yeah. sort of like a virtuous cycle that happens. Yeah. But then that, I mean, those stats are massive. Yeah. So that can't be the only reason. Yeah, it probably isn't the only reason. I think there's many other factors which potentially play into it. Um, again, I'm I'm not too well versed around the genetics around that, you know. Um but that's the only thing which potentially, you know, comes to my mind. And again, do you get more protect like in, in I'm not too sure about London, but again, you within the inner cities do you have a lot a lot more a lot more of like the Caribbean population or black population within inner city London. Um and again a, a lot a lot of them may potentially be playing grassroots football, playing again. I think it's I think it's a difficult I think it's a difficult topic and again and that's what we're here for I'm trying to think and again I think there's so many factors which which come into play and I don't think there's there's one reason for that again there may be so many different factors I um, think the game of football is not one fit molder mm. type of player that you need look you've got a bit <laughs> To play at the highest level in elite sport, you have to be athletic. Yeah. You have to have the physical, the physicality to, to, to cope. Yeah. But again, the game's only getting quicker. 
in football. It's only going to keep getting quicker. Yeah. And I always use De Bruyne as an example. Like nobody really notices how athletic De Bruyne actually is. He's, he's an unbelievable athlete. Yeah. He's known for his technical capabilities and his, his range of passing and all the other aspects of it. <coughs> but I think elite sport, talking about football, is there's not one fit mold of a, of a type of player you could be. There's all different types. And that's constantly changing and evolving. Like right now, for me, football is the unbelievable athletes, uh, your key players, you look at Mbappe, you look at Ronaldo, you look at these type of players that are just unbelievable physical specimens. Haaland. Haaland at the minute, like absolute monster. Jude Bellingham, yeah. The, the physical monsters. Yeah. And they're, they're the type of players right now that are trending. And that's not to say we ignore the other types, but I think there's just a constant range of cycle of trends of type of players that break through and, and what we're actually looking for. Um and it changes. You can look at Haaland, and I'm not saying for one second Haaland's not a technical footballer because he's an unbelievable technical footballer, but he's probably not known for his technical ability. He's known for his power and his <laughs> anticipation and, and, and the way he plays the game. Um, but I think there's a constant varied cycle in, in, in what we're actually looking for. And I think football can provide all different shapes, sizes, whatever it might be, in my opinion. And I think there's just different trends at different times. I I made my dream team um, and like Project Footballer has talked about this and people have different variations, but I think it's relative to this conversation. So going to whiz through this as fast as I can. Dani Alves, Nesta, Maldini, Roberto Carlos, Xavi, Iniesta, Zidane, Messi, R9 Ronaldo and Ronaldinho. So cause some controversy for not having CR7. <laughs> anyway, in that dream team, I think you've got two players there that are really non-athletic, is in and, and even them, like you know, they're still so much more athletic than the person on the street. But like Xavi and Iniesta, they're small in height, they're small in size. I don't know what their top speeds would have been, but they, they play in those central positions. But your fullbacks, speeds. Um, agile, all the other things. Nesta, Maldini, tall in height, stature. Um, yeah, and then your front three, speed, every one of them, even though people would say, oh, Messi's short, but 18 miles per hour, top speed. Zidane, high physical profile, tall, athletic. So people can have different variations and like you can argue on who goes where and that kind of thing. But I think generally you're going to have like for like in a lot of those positions. So then it comes down to if scouting becomes more and more efficient over the years, and we've seen here with the examples with the NFL and NBA, with how much money is in those sports and how efficient they probably are with their recruitment and their college programs and probably now artificial intelligence and all the other stuff that's going on probably football i think football might be a little bit behind in that sense compared to like nfl and nba but do we start going in a direction where you literally only have like two positions on the pitch if you're i, I thought about this where predominantly and mudrick the last time I spoke to the Chelsea head of data analysis, I said, who's the fastest player in the Premier League? And at that point, about two months ago, Mudrick had, yeah, he topped out with the top speed. Um, so a white player, 
Um, but predominantly, as a generalization, white people would generally have less fast twitch fibers than black people. Generalization, but but we probably see that with the 100 meter results and a lot of people would say that. So then if you're a short white player, you're pretty much only playing in the position, actually I'm gonna be careful how I say this. So a short white player who has more predominant slow twitch fibers, you pretty much are only playing as a number six or a number eight. And so your chance of being a footballer is limited based on the positions that you can play. Now, for for South Asian, I did some research on 100 meter times for South Asian players, and it came up where it said, until 2020, the record for athletes in this region was 10.22 seconds, which would be the 185th fastest in the world for just this season. The fastest Indian time is even slower at 10.26 seconds. So I've then started to look into, well, are South Asian players slower? Uh, is is that is that something that's happening? Is that true with their genes? I mean, I'm not too sure. Again, if you, if you look at the South Asian countries, you may not put athletics as at the forefront as one of their national sports. Yeah. So again, I think it's difficult to gauge because if they're not putting you know, fight. You know, if they're not putting resources into you know, you know, their hundred meter sprinters, then in comparison to UK or USA, where we put a lot of money into our athletics department, um, I think I think it's difficult to say. Um, yeah, I don't know what your, what your thoughts on that, Zia. I think it does come down to uh, we just talk about the times and everything. Like, is this nature or nurture? Like. If your your fibers, like I'm not, I'm not I'm, I don't I'm not well versed in science, but is fast twitch and slow twitch is that something that you're naturally born with, or is that something that can be developed over time? Um, I guess you have to speak to coaches who know know better. Like I think it's developed a lot. Yeah, I think you can awaken fast sport, twitch fibers. You got, got sports scientists and you got uh, yep. people who analyze data to an nth degree who can give more data than say 20 years ago or. At least, how do you develop an athlete? Is it because he has natural ability or you can coach them into uh, in terms of how their technique is, in terms of their direction, in terms of what they're eating, in terms of their movement? I've heard, obviously, you can teach people to run because we all run, have a natural ability to run, but the way you run may not be suitable for sports. Or can you change the way the body dynamics and, and everything is? I, I believe that you I can, so. but there's a lot of effort that will yeah. go into it. Yeah. Then it becomes about access. Like you're talking about, say, South Asia, for example, like India with a population of a billion people. Um, a lot of that is in poverty as well. Right. What opportunities do you have to discover talent? Do you have talent ID camps and bases all around the world? And how does someone from a rural part then get scout, uh, I, I, you know, picked up? to be taken to a, like an elite center to develop further. I think there is natural talent that people do have. It's whether at any given time they're spotted or they have the opportunity or there's a resource that's available. Um, I'll give you an example. In, in, this is a, a javelin example, but the top two in the world is one Pakistani athlete and one Indian yeah. athlete. The Indian athlete has a lot of, um, Neil Chopra, he has a lot of uh, kind of resource available to him, sponsorship. The ability to train abroad, where the Pakistani guy is pretty much 
developing in Pakistan where there isn't a kind of elite mm. javelin program. If he was to go abroad, then maybe he developed that much better and 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 and, and a changing technique from a culture who understands the dynamics of well, you can change one nth degree of your arm to mm. launch it further. That expert uh, kind of um, what you call it isn't available to him. And the other factor is that he has to then pay to go around and train. He may not be able to. He the story was that he doesn't compete in many competitions because he has to raise the funds first to then go compete. So then he's picking and choosing which competitions to go to, where someone who's got the resource and he doesn't have to worry about funding. Mm -hmm. He just needs to turn up. He just practice, turn up, and just follow the guidance and turn up. So it, I, I, it does come down to um, accessibility at times as well. That's it because this data. If you were going to make an assumption that looking at the 100 meter times of South Asians over the last like 30 years and say they're not as high as other nations, right? That then means that South Asians are slow. That that would be, that could be false. That could be completely wrong because when you start looking into it, the weather is a factor that, you know, compared to maybe Jamaica where they've got athletics clubs everywhere and culturally it's a, it's very aspirational to become a sprinter so you've got more people learning the techniques of sprinting maybe combined with higher natural ceilings but how fast do you have to be to be a footballer like you you can still have like careers it's it's so marginal mm. you can improve your speed so much but i think having this sort of conversation if we start understanding our genetic makeup and we understand our heritage is better then we can understand our strengths and weaknesses and then we can understand how what do we need to do to make up for some of our deficiencies whether that's through diet whether that's through strength conditioning training speed training and then that 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 then means that yeah you you can outwork and and become successful even if you haven't necessarily got as high natural tools as maybe someone else Sure, I think you hit the nail on the head. It's understanding. So rather than going by stereotypes or perceptions, we say, okay, this is where we're at. How do we get better? Yeah. I think that part is what the, the solution is. We're not just saying, because it's this, ergo, it must mean there's no, we, there's no progression here. We're going, okay, your starting points might be different, but how do you get it up there and who can help develop and improve that. Totally. And where do we go to get those extra inches? Totally. You relate it to speed. And I think there's the difference between speed and football speed because you've got to be able to apply that onto a football pitch. Then you can have the unlimited speed in the world, but if you don't know how to time your runs or where to play, I think there's so many different aspects to it. And I think they all, so true. They all, all reenact to each other. And the footballing brain, there's still players that have the footballing brain and not the the athleticism to do it because they think might think two seconds quicker. They might not be able to run two seconds quicker, but they can think two seconds quicker on the football pitch. So true. And I think it, it does relate to that. But again, as an academy, and, and this is me talking from my personal perspective is we'll always say, look, we can make them better tactically and technically. And I know there's a lot of arguments around that, but we feel the academy system can improve players technically and tactically. And we can teach them that it within our structure. So at pre-academy, when we start recruiting players, my perspective is, look, let's get some efficient movers in because we can teach them the football side of things. That's our job as an academy. Yeah. But then again, from an academy system, what are we doing to improve athleticism? What are we doing to improve 
the physicality. Mm. We have three sessions a week doing football related, 1v1, attacking, defending, in-out possession, low block, mid block. But what we're actually doing to create athletes, again, my opinion is I think you can make someone quicker, but I don't think you can make someone quick. That's my opinion on it. I think you can help improve speed and make them quicker, but I don't think you can make someone quick. Whereas I think you can make someone better on the left side or the right side or timing the runs. When Argentina just won the World Cup, did they have any black players in their team? My guess would be no. I can't think of a black player in their team. Um, you think of Argentina as good movers. Obviously, Messi at this stage of his career is not as fast as he was. Um, even like Di Maria, don't really think of him fast. It's like super fast anyway. I'm trying to think of players that played in that World Cup final against France. Can you think of speed demons in their team? In, in... Not necessarily. You relate to Spain, that of obviously when in, in, in the German side that won the, the World Cup that time. It's... I'm trying to think of like really recent times. I'm thinking yeah. that things evolved. There's a post that went up recently where you're seeing uh, there's a lot more black players coming into the German national team. Yeah. They just um, won the, the, the 17s that won did the, they? The, the youth cup as well. That's the national, whatever they were. Yeah. Um, but, but like, let's say, let's say give Spain as an example, let's say Argentina have just been like very, very successful. Um, understanding that to your point around speed, not being like the defining factor, you know, I, I think England, France, in the four corner model, our emphasis is more on physicality and technique. Um, you see that in the World Cup final, France against Argentina. I've watched the final back a few times. It's really, really interesting. I feel that Argentina, and, and you can watch it on YouTube from a bird's eye view. So it's, it's really interesting watching the final that way because you see the movement patterns and the shape. And I think Argentina was so, so organized in that final that they moved the ball super fast, super efficient. And then the way that they pressed was, was God, it was incredible. Um, and so then, and the passion as well, that's another thing with the Argentinians. Um, if you watch that, I always had it in my headphones in my lunch while I was watching it. And when Messi scored the first penalty, the crowd go mad and it literally just like me burst my eardrums. But like, and then you see the celebrations after they won that World Cup, insane celebrations, like that passion is incredible. So fine, they haven't got the fastest players in the world, Argentina, but they've made up for not having players as fast as Mbappe by organization, game understanding, being efficient with the ball, being a real team, some magic and spirit in there by trying to get Messi that last World Cup final and doing that for him. And then their fans being like a 12th player. Like, I mean, I think we can't underestimate how important passion is in football. Um, but yeah, I think, I think I wanted to have a genetic conversation. I think it should be part of this conversation, but only in a positive way to say, right, understand ourselves like I'm, I'm you know all all nationalities understand right fine might not have as many fast switch fibers but what what can your child still have like you know make sure they've got they're making up for it with their technique make sure they've got great heart and desire 
make sure they've got really good decision making, the really professional trainer, get them as fast and strong as they can possibly be to their highest natural ceiling. That's all you can do. Yeah. And I think like, again, touching on the players that we, like we have in our pre-academy, they may not be the tallest players, but technically they're amazing. One of them's just Abu, he's, you put him in the central midfield and he'll just work his socks off. Like he's an absolute unit in, in, in the center. It may not be the tallest player, but again, he, the passion and the work rate that he has is second to none. And again, it's, again, it just depends on what academy also you work for. It's, what are the player profiles that you're looking for? And I think this, let's not forget there's not one fit mold here of what makes a footballer. Uh, there's not one written, like I said it before, <coughs> written formula or or fit mold of what makes a footballer. But I, I just challenge that though, because I've been exposed to see a lot of like data that's being used. I mean, the, the Arsenal game recently, and this is probably happening at a lot of the top clubs. They've got data points on all their players that create these like data profiles. They then use AI with the formations that they're going to be playing against, a proposed formation against Arsenal with their player profiles, and you randomize it and you see what happens, and then results come out. And you can imagine the sorts of artificial intelligence that all these clubs are starting to use. So with that said, I mean, I know that at like board level, clubs are saying, this is our system of play. This is what we have. And that comes down. So even if you get a new manager, the new manager is coming in and saying, these are probably our transfer targets over the next few years. These are our player profiles. I do get what you're saying, but I'm just yeah. thinking that with the way that data and artificial intelligence is controlling football and driving it, scouts and managers and coaches are almost going to need to conform to that. Where it, where it does become like... I think it, it, it's so strategic in what okay. we're doing. I mean, f f thinking out loud right now is yeah. our best example at Leeds United right now is Archie Gray, who's a 17-year-old, played, I think, every minute in the championship this year and watched him yesterday at Ellen Road, man at match performance. He was a midfielder going through the system. He was a midfielder. Um, the last few years, he was playing as a midfielder and now he's gone in at right-back. Daniel Farker has put him at right-back. So you can prepare whatever you want in these journeys, these players and go, well, I predict he's going to be this, this or this. Yeah. He's predominantly in the last few years been playing central midfield and broke through as a midfielder, but mm. then now he's at right back instantly. Mm. And for a 17 year old to deal with that, I think there's no plan or strategy. That's just first team football and how it, how it pans out. Mm. Um, look again, with, remember academies are a business, a part of a football club to a, ultimately suffice a business. We know it's a sport, but it is a business still. And we as an academy have got a duty to create revenue for players. We've mm -hmm. got to do what we can to make the best chance of doing that. Mm. And how do we do that? Well, if we've constantly produced players that are like this, then why change that if it's, it's supporting the business? Mm. Um, I just don't think, look, the way the game's going now in different ways to recruit and, and analyze and predict, like you say, AIs. I mean, and I've had parents email me now Eight, with eight and eight, nine year old boys with AI predictions on what they're going to look like at 14 and 15 and go, this is my boy, what he's going to look like at 15. And <laughs> it's like, we can sit here and laugh, but this is the truth. And we just go back to parents again. Like I've received emails with pictures of what my, what his boy will might look like in six years time. And he's going to be six foot two. <laughs>
And I think this is the way recruitment and the world could end up going to. And I think, again, that for me, there's not one fit mold. That's okay. my opinion. Yeah, yeah. Um, I know we're starting to go over time, but there's probably like one last thing that I wanted to talk about. And I just really, really want to just shout out Riz Rahman from the PFA. Um, what a great, great guy doing such, such good work um, in this space. I couldn't believe from the conversation just how hands-on he is. He's he's so like proud of the work that I think he's been doing. I think I think it's only in the last like two years he's been like doing it properly and starting to get funding from the PFA. Um, but he's he's creating a support network. He's identified for South Asian families they don't have enough of a support network because there's not enough history to go on of. of track records that they can look to those formulas and those blueprints. And so he's reaching out. I mean, when we're talking about Farhan, he said, oh yeah, I spoke to Farhan two weeks ago and then speaking to Farhan's parents. And then they're like, oh yeah, yeah. You know, we speak to Riz regularly and he'll be doing that. He'll be up and down the country, like meeting like his his hundred players that are in his South Asian network, that he'll know the family so well, he'll know them all. I mean, what's been your dealings with Riz? So I met Riz um, at the South Asian Action Plan tournament in Loughborough and had a really good conversation with him. Really nice guy, down to earth guy. And again, yeah. he's, he's he's been in contact with Mo in um, within our academy. So when I was speaking to him, he already knew the South Asian players that we had signed at Leeds United. Um, and yeah, and I follow him on Instagram and he's doing, with the AIMS program, he's doing a lot for the kids who are signed. Um, so again, I've just had positive dealings with Riz and you know what, he's, he's doing an amazing job for South Asian players. Mm. I think from from my perspective, the projects and schemes and and I know <clears> the <throat> events that they're doing at St. George's Park with the South Asian community and getting all the players together and speaking more and making this more of a, a real platform now. Yeah. There's a real platform and a real push on, on it and making people aware of what's going on. I think it's down to the work of people like Riz and a lot of others that I've met on, on courses and I mean, recently done my talent ID level three in the last couple of years and there were a massive sort of focus on South Asian football and a lot of discussion on that then. So it's cropping up on all these FA courses now as well. So all of us that are in stakeholder positions and in a position yeah, to make an impact. That's class. And now being more aware now of, of this. And I think it's, it's our job now as, as, as recruiters or whatever it might be, whatever roles we're in in academies as, as coaches, whatever that may be. We're aware of this, and that's down to the work these guys are, are doing and mm. putting into the players. Mm. Agree, agree. I think, um, I think what we can just keep doing is educating parents so that then they understand if they want to make this choice for their child to be a footballer, then they're going into it open eyes, but they've got every opportunity, the same opportunity to everyone else to make that gamble and go on that journey and it's not an easy journey at all but should someone that's living in england want to be able to go on that journey then yeah they've got every opportunity i think you know that's what we're all striving for no i agree um i think any any anything that helped when we have these conversations it shouldn't be the only time we speak about it i think you have it on a regular basis like mm. what i've tried to do with with parents and and people in the community to have regular what i call continuous quality conversations yeah it's where we just learn and anytime we learn anything new it's bringing it back to a wider network yeah so if i've taken anything away from this it's something that i will speak to people that i know who are parents or uh clubs or coaches and saying right 
I didn't realize this was the case, but this is what's happening. Are you aware of it? And then you're trying to just always build on knowledge and experience. And you're trying to, we're all trying to find inches here, right? Yes. And for, for me, for my community, we've got a lot of inches to make up, but I'm trying to like bridge that gap as best as possible. And like Sean, I'd love to invite you to people that I know, especially yeah. in East London, uh, the community to speak more, because I think there's always this kind of fear that exists. Right. That, just say this conversation is happening. We may not speak about this for another year. Mm. And is it is it a waste that we just sat here for a nice couple of hours, a great chat? But if we were to not continue our kind of conversations and and and, and connections here and build it to to the wider people that we know, there's more benefit in doing that rather than say, well, well let's talk about this in a year's time and see what's happened. So I think mm. there's work to be done. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, we're all like rolling our sleeves and ready to do the work. Um, and I'm saying like, we'll get on the work stuff and if you could keep having these conversations and if you bring other people on as well, like, mm. it's, it's great that you've created this, this platform and invite someone like myself on as well. And I appreciate that. And there's plenty of others that will help develop on what we've spoken about. I think that's, that's a way forward as well for us. Yeah. You're spot on. You're spot on. Thank you so much. Like, yeah, I think we've got so much of what I wanted to talk about um came through in the episode i i really hope this has helped parents um like sort of mentioned like a little while ago just saying that should you want to take the opportunity to put your child into the environment of professional football um, there's a lot of learning to be done um, whether it's the the scout that you meet and the, the coaching that you're done and the program that you put for your child but um yeah people are making these journeys and um yeah we we we, we hope that, uh, yeah, this has been a really helpful episode for you. But yeah, thank you guys. Thank you so much for your Pleasure. time. Thank you. Thanks, Thanks so much. much.